It is so good to be with you. It's been a while, and uh, we've been uh, keeping pretty busy. Uh, as you've heard, we've received like uh, just a little snow. Um, in fact, Orchard Park has gotten, I don't know, 77 inches, 80 inches, something like. It's like after a while, you kind of, who's counting? <laughs> and uh, we're about three miles from there, so we got about 10 inches or a foot less, maybe. So um, so we, we don't have the, the snowball record they do in Orchard Park, but we're pretty close there. And, uh, and the band is just incredible because at our house this morning, I've been in touch with Michael, letting him know if we thought we could get out. Uh, they lifted the band at midnight last night, and uh, so that's a good thing because you, you can get a ticket, and they're giving out lots of tickets right now. And uh, so we were able to leave okay. When we left, of course, you know, we're just under a cloud. It's, it's just, you know, gloomy, dark. Uh, it wasn't actually snowing, but, you know, it gets a little depressing after a while when all you see is snow, and even when it stops snowing, it's just snow everywhere. Um, but we got a mile down the road, and it's sunny. I mean, it's, you're so encouraged just to see the sun. So literally about a mile down the road, and we're like right out of the band, and all of a sudden you see the snow going from, you know, 70 inches to just a measly couple of feet, you know, which isn't bad at all. <laughs> so it's just, uh, it's just hard to believe. Um, so we have been able to get our driveway cleared. Uh, I have an apartment around the block that I couldn't get there in time. Uh, by the time I got ours done, it was too late to hit that one with a snowblower. So I have a bobcat coming, Lord willing, today. They're supposed to come and dig us out in the, the property around the block. So my tenants will be very happy if that happens, and, uh, and I'll feel better too. So, um, And then we'll tackle the property in Amherst. We have one there too, and they don't have as much. I think they just have like eight inches or so from what we can see in the camera. So uh, we got a little bit of work cut out for us the next day or two to, to finish getting our tenants dug out. Uh, it's so good to be with you. We we just finished our Rochester reverb, uh, uh, I guess, what was that, two weeks ago now? We are so glad we do that the first weekend in November because this is exactly why we do it. Uh, you know, there's three weekends you can have a reverb according to our Word of Life calendar, so we we picked the first one to get it done. Um, and I printed some of these. It's kind of a, it's a report. I think I sent one to the church. It goes out to all our supporters and all our uh, volunteer help on Reverb. So it's a whole paper on Reverb. Uh, I printed some in there in the back. If you want to help yourself to it, there's a bunch of pictures in there and things as to how the event won. Um, and it, it went extremely well. Uh, we're so thankful for the way that God blessed. Um, I was telling someone last week we were preaching in a church, and I told them, they asked us, you know, how it went, because every year is an experience. And I said, you know, this year, it's, I don't know how to explain it, except that it's like God went before us, and every day it seemed like God was just going before us, just making a path for us. Uh, it was unbelievable how much we felt God answered prayer this year. Um, we, within our staff, we have a little friendly competition. Of course, there's 12 of these all over the country, and we always want to know how each other's doing. Uh, and every year, I, I, I just, you know, I'll have to confess this later, I'm sure. Um, we, we try to bump up one on the scale every year. We try to do one better. And uh, so we've been chasing, like, Binghamton and Orlando, because they always beat us. 
as far as attendance and response, you know, and and so every year, and we've been passing one every year, so we've been trying to move up the scale. Uh, so we were in, I don't know, maybe fourth place, fifth place. Uh, we actually jumped all the way to the top this year. just want you to know that. Uh, now, the, the pressure is staying there. I don't know that that'll happen, quite honestly, because it's, it's just a lot of work. Uh, but we actually came uh, in ahead of, I hope none of them are watching this, but... Uh, Orlando and Binghamton, because now they're going to be, we've been chasing them for years, they're going to be gunning for us this year, or next year, and we're already working on next year, believe it or not, we're, we maxed out every facility that we had after midnight, literally maxed out, I actually overbooked three places beyond their fire code, and you know, I said to Jamie, and I'm trying to excuse this, I said to her every day, but kids get sick every year, so I'm counting on 1% getting sick, so we'll overbook it. Uh, we really, we just had no other place to put everybody, and so some kids did get sick, and we were okay, nothing illegal, um, it, it, uh, but it was just that exciting and stressful at the same time, because we were taking calls from churches like every day, can we add a couple, and say, yeah, I think so, um, and hopefully we won't get in trouble for that. Uh, and we just had an amazing event. Um, I want to thank you for your prayers. Um, this little gale here in the front does an awful lot of work on reverb. I mean, it is a ton of work. Uh, she probably has about, I don't know, 30 more hours to do yet to finish all the paperwork. We're still working on the paperwork. There's a ton of stuff we have to turn in. Um, and she's not done with that. My part's done. Now, now she has a bit of work to do yet with that. So thank you for your prayers. It's, it's exciting to be there. And next year, we probably jump back down to second or third place. I don't know, because um, it's just a friendly competition between us. But all the guys work really hard on it. So, and uh, we're already working on Nerf Force. We have 14 booked for this year, and uh, excited about that. Uh, we're uh, kind of working out a new message and, and getting that all uh, to go. Um, and we're excited about some new equipment that we've got and, uh, and some new churches to do it. Uh, so you could be praying for a Nerf Force. We saw probably, I think, around 40-some kids saved last year through Nerf Force. So that was a lot of fun as well. Well, we need to get into a, a message. And uh, I've been... Uh, looking at this passage in Psalm 26, if you would join me there in the 26th Psalm. I love looking at the Psalms and studying them, and I love trying to figure out where they took place in David's life. Most of them written by David, not all of them. In this particular Psalm, the 26th Psalm, is kind of a little perplexing when you get into it because you're not exactly sure what David's talking about when he opens up this psalm and when this actually took place in his life. There's, it's really intriguing. Now, I have hit the books. I have studied all my books on the psalms. Some of them kind of deal with it and address it. Others just kind of get into an outline and kind of ignore the first verse. And uh, actually, out of all the books I studied, I think John Phillips hits it the best. Uh, in fact, the, the six-word outline actually comes from his commentary. I took his six words, but then I fleshed it out. 
um, but I, I like the six words, and I like the explanation that John Phillips gives as to what is going on in David's life, because if you don't understand what he's writing about and what's going on, it's kind of hard to really get uh, the content out of the chapter. And so I've, I've uh, studied this, and I, I agree with John Phillips and what he says about when this actually takes place. And uh, it's a, a psalm that I believe deals with integrity, and there's about four or five slides right in the beginning. We'll kind of walk through those to start with because I love the subject of integrity. It's one that I think is really intriguing. It has to do with who I really am when nobody else is looking. And as you, you roll through those slides, it's perhaps the, uh, the hardest place to have integrity is in the home, I think. Because in the home, everybody knows who you really are. And there's no pretense, there's no pretending as to who you are. Uh, it's kind of clear in, in your own home because people see you up close. Uh, other than being in the home, we don't always see people up close. And so I, I like these couple of slides that kind of deal with integrity and kind of deal within the home. I think the greatest mark of a father is how he treats his children when no one is looking. Uh, Dan Pierce said that. And then there's another slide there that says, a father doesn't have to tell you that he loves you, he shows you. Um, you see it in his life. And, um, and then there's another one, there's a couple more there, you can read them. Uh, the greatest thing a father can do for his children is love their mother. These are all, I think, truths that have to deal with integrity. And then take a look at this. Um, David, or um, I'm sorry, uh, yes, David, I'm thinking about other, another psalm for a moment. David, in this particular psalm, he says something that really catches your attention right away. He says there in verse 1, he says, Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in mine integrity, or I have walked in integrity. I have trusted also in the Lord, therefore I shall not slide. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins in my heart. And so immediately when you read this psalm, and some of the authors deal with it and some of them don't, they just kind of skip over it. it. As you study this psalm, it's as if the nation of Israel is going through some kind of a crisis, some kind of a, a really trouble spot. And, and they are. Um, I believe they are, and I believe that I know when they are going through this time. In fact, Israel actually went through a famine, a, a really horrible famine. A famine, and I'm talking about so bad that people were dying, literally left and right. And you think, well, how long did this famine last? Well, if it's the time I'm thinking of, this, this famine, famine lasted about three years, and it just kept getting worse, and people kept dying. And so David writes, I believe David is under really close scrutiny. Um, and you might say, well, why? Well, because David was the leader. He was the king. And whenever a nation is going through a time of crisis, you know what usually happens? People start asking questions. And it must be something David did. David, I mean, I could just hear the questions. What did you do? Why are we going through this? I mean, you've got to understand, three years of famine is a long time. Going a week or a month or a couple months without rain is a long time. But could you imagine going three years 
And so David starts out the psalm, and it, it, it is a little perplexing because he says, Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in mine integrity. I have trusted also the Lord, therefore I shall not slide. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins and my heart. And, uh, and that's why I think we can actually narrow this down as to when, what exactly happened in David's life and in the nation of Israel, because we could point to a number of things. There was a number of times that David sinned, and we know that. I think of the time when he numbered Israel. He actually told Joab to go number the people, but it was done out of pride. And because it was done out of pride, God judged him for it. And he judged the nation. And, and there was some, but we know when that happened, and we know that David confessed that sin, and God forgave him. And you could say, well, what about the time with Bathsheba? Well, that's exactly right. He did sin with Bathsheba. He, he actually committed murder. He, he did a number of different things. And I think for something like a year, David ran from God and he um, tried to hide his sin. But we also know the Psalms that deal with his confession and David came clean. In fact, he paid fourfold for that. Uh, the scriptures tell us of four different ways that David paid for that sin. It, it was awful. But David confessed it, and God forgave him, and, and that was all made right. That was, David was given a clean bill of health. And so we know it's not speaking of that particular time. And so the nation of Israel is, is going through a national crisis. David is being accused, I'm sure, because he's the leader. And, and when things go wrong, the leader is always questioned. And, um, and so David answers this way. He says, judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in mine integrity. I have trusted also in the Lord, therefore I shall not slide. I want you to understand what David is saying is, I am innocent, I have not done anything wrong. And it's true. This particular time in his life, he hadn't. His sin had been confessed. His sin had been dealt with on a national level. Everybody knew what he had done and that he had confessed. So in this particular time, this particular punishment is not because of David's sin. In fact, in verse 2, when he says, examine me, O Lord, and prove me, try my reins and my heart, what David is really saying is he's saying, like, listen, put me to the test. Ask me anything you want. And those of you that are school teachers, um, you know when you give out those exams, those quizzes, those tests. Sometimes they're surprise tests, right? And you say, take out a sheet of paper, and I want you to number one through five, and, and then you give them a pop quiz. It's always a really uh, stressful time. Do you know who it's most stressful for? <laughs> the people who haven't studied or they haven't done the work. The person who's done the work, how do, how do they treat a quiz? It's sort of like a badge of honor almost, you know? It's like, got that right, got that right, got that right, got that right, aced it. See, I know my stuff. Um, and the teacher can sense when somebody's not in that position. And what David is saying, and he's saying, listen, examine me. Ask me any question you want. Check it out. I haven't done anything wrong. And David is saying, he's claiming, I have walked in integrity. In fact, you know what really amazes me? It's who he's saying this to. David is saying to God. Now, I could say to one of you that I haven't done anything wrong. And, you know, you might not know the difference, or you might. 
But you can't say that to God and say it truthfully. In fact, I wrote in my notes, could you imagine having a heart so clean, so pure, that you could say to God, God, test me, put me to the test, examine my heart, because I don't know of anything that I've done wrong. And, and that's where David is this morning. It's a life of integrity. It's a life of character. And as a man after God's own heart, I, I, I think David's telling the truth. He has not done anything wrong at this stage in his life. And that's a good place to be. In this life of integrity, there are six things, and you can mark them down. They all start with O. And uh, the very first one is the word open. As I take this journey in life, if I'm going to have a life of integrity, one of the very first things I've got to have is a life that is very open. A very, uh, just a life that is open before God and before other people. Um, there have been a number of times uh, that I have worked closely with people. Um, might uh, be someone on our staff or uh, someone involved with an event or a project. And I have sensed that something was very wrong. And I've actually gone up to people and say, what's going on? And I've had them say to me, what, uh, what are you talking about? And I said, I, I don't really know. But I said, I know something's not right. And I've had people say, you're exactly right. Something's not right. But how did you know? And, you know, it's one of those things. It's like, you know what? I, th I think all of us catch ourselves in that place sometimes where we think nobody knows what's going on. Not true. The truth is everybody knows what's going on. Now, they might not know the details, but people sense when something isn't right. And, and you know, it's, I try to explain it this way. It's like, um, it's like that, that inner sense that a wife has. Uh, there's, there's something, I think, I think women are better at this than us men. Women just have to seem to have this keen awareness, this, this sharpness that they know when something's not right. And some of us men just kind of go like, huh, you know, <laughs> we, we don't always see it, do we? But, but wives just have a way of picking up on things. And I think some of it, too, is when you have the Spirit of God in you, you've got to understand, as, as believers, we all have the Spirit of God. Do you think the Spirit of God in me knows when the Spirit of God in a brother is, is not quite, you know, right? Of course he does. The Spirit of God knows all things. And, uh, I, and that's how I explain some of it. Um, David's life is so open that he says, check it out. Examine me. Ask me anything you want. I have walked in mine integrity, and I like that. Examine me, O Lord. Prove me. Try my reins in my heart. David, in fact, if you're wondering, um, David, I believe, is writing at a time when the nation of Israel was going through this three-year famine. And the reason why Israel was going through this three-year famine is because God was punishing them as a nation for a sin they had committed. And I think I know what that sin was. Joshua, now that you've got to understand, that this is, and this is unusual, this happened many years before. Joshua signed a treaty with a group of people. It's hard for me to say their name. They were the Gibeonites. Gibeonites, I think I said it right. Um, Joshua signed a treaty with them. 
I don't know if you remember the story, but, but Joshua was actually tricked into this. They came and made it you know, look like they were coming from afar, and Joshua signed this treaty with them uh, that they would protect them. And they, he was tricked into doing it, but nevertheless, he signed a treaty, and God expects us to keep our vows. And so what had happened later is that Saul, when he became king, he recklessly uh, murdered some of the Gibeonites didn't take seriously that treaty. And that three-year famine came not as a result of David's sin, but as a result of Saul's sin. And as a nation of Israel, uh, they were guilty of that, and that had never been made right. And God was holding them accountable to that. And so when David prays, or David writes in this prayer that um, I have walked in integrity, he was telling exactly the truth. He really, it wasn't because of sin in his life. Uh, now, I've, I've written down in my notes as kind of a side note. So what happens when we in leadership and whatever leadership God has put us in, let's say that we get questioned for something. What is the right way to respond? Um, I think we should always listen. I think we should hear what somebody has to say. We're starting to get evaluations back from Reverb. And some of them are not easy to read. You know, it's like, well, we wish that you know you had done this or you had done that. Or it's like, it's like, you know, and it's like, okay. But what do I do as a leader? I need to listen. You know, there's often an element of truth in criticism, and I need to hear it out, and I need to look at it, and I need to do what I can to make things better. And so. And that is all part of, I think, having a life that is open. We need to move on. There's a couple of other things as well. David has a life that is open. Before I, before I leave this, ESV says, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in mine integrity. I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Try or test my heart and my mind. What a, what a great uh, prayer to pray and a thing for David to write. Well, a life that is open, there's a few more. Not only do I need a life that is open, but I need a life that is obedient. And I see that in verses three. In verse three, he says, For thy loving kindness is before mine eyes. I have walked in thy truth. ESV says it this way, For your steadfast love is before mine eyes, and I have walked in your faithfulness. And it's true. David was able to say, I have walked in truth. Um, Phillips writes this, he says, love is the most powerful motive in the entire world. Someone has said men will do things for love that they will not do for fear, hate, or gain. Consider what you would do for someone who loves you. In most places of employment, they tell me that employees will tell you that the number one complaint that they have in work situations is feeling that they are not appreciated. And I think that's so true. If bosses would just say once in a while, well done, or that, that was a good, you did good with that. Thank you for what you did. And, uh, or if they would just express how much you have made a contribution to your store or your plan or your factory or your school, you would work your head off for them. In the local church, there are times when I think members feel overlooked or forgotten. And I hope that that doesn't happen here. I can't imagine that it does. But there are times when when I think we feel like we have been overlooked or not really um, paid attention to, I want you to know there's a lot of working parts in a church, a lot of moving parts. 
and everyone's so important, every one of you. Um, even being here is your way of participating. You are here. You are a part of this church, and we're thankful for that. Love will empower people who serve uh, with you. And uh, in fact, you might, if, if you look back at it, that verse again, verse 3, it says, For thy loving kindness is before mine eyes. I have walked in thy truth, uh, an obedient life. I think David, one of the reasons for his obedience is because he realized how much God loved him. David, of all people, he knew how far he had fallen in his times in the past. David didn't do everything right, but he knew how far he had fallen, and he knew that God had forgiven him and that God had been so gracious to him. And uh, David was aware of how much God loved him, and it led him to obedience. Love, not law, drove him to it. And, uh, and I like that. If I could make a suggestion in the morning, tomorrow morning when you start a brand new week, uh, it wouldn't hurt to, to get up and in your prayers just say, God, I love you today. Thank you so much. Help me to live a life that's not only open but obedient. I often, uh, often after sleeping good at night in the morning, I like to just say that to God. God, I love you this morning. And uh, help me to be obedient uh, to you. So a life that is open, a life that is obedient. There's a third one. It's a life that is overcoming. These, this comes from the next three verses where David says, I have not sat with vain persons, neither will I go in with dissemblers. I have hated the congregation of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I will wash mine hands in innocency, so will I compass thine altar, O Lord. I like that. David, I believe here, is talking about a life that is overcoming. Not everyone lives a life that is overcoming, a life that is victorious. The ESV says it this way, I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord. Like David, we live in a world that hates the things of God. And David, I think, here is learning some really valuable life lessons, some life principles that have helped him to become an overcomer. David had overcome some pretty deep sins, and I think we need to be that overcomer too. Uh, David, I think, drew a line in the sand and he was choosing to put distance between himself and those who had no use for God. My wife and I were high school sweethearts and we, we actually started dating in high school. I tried not to tell any of our kids that. And, uh, but I remember a time in our life when very young, we, we kind of drew that line in the sand. And there was, we had a lot of friends at school, and um, a lot of friends actually in the church. Uh, we had, I don't know, there was probably 20-some kids that were, you know, 9th, 10th, 11th grade. Uh, our, our church was right across from the public school, and we were very active in school and very active in youth group, and there were a lot of us, but not all of us were really walking with God. And we had some mutual friends. We were in the same grade. And um, some friends that we were very concerned about. I mean, we prayed for them. And some of the things they did kind of broke our heart because I know they broke God's heart. And, 
And we, we challenged them because we, we did that. We drew a line in the sand and we, we said, we're just not going to do those things. Just not going to do it. And there was a lot of pressure and I'll never forget. I remember coming out of church one day. We, we you know, were in the same church and two of our friends were sitting in a car revving it up. They had been in church too and they were getting ready to leave and we decided we're just going to do it. We're going to talk to them. And so they, you know, we come by the car and they rolled down the window and I, I can remember it to this day. And we just, we pled with them. And I said, and I, I don't want to mention their names, but I, I remember saying, guys, you know, we know what's going on and, and you can't do those things. And that, that doesn't honor God. And, and both of us, we just, we were all really tight friends. And I said, these are things you just, you can't keep doing. You're going to get so messed up in your life. And for, with every ounce of lawyer, attorney language we could use, you know, we were just trying to convince them. And, uh, and I, I can tell you this day, uh, this is many years later, one of them uh, chose not to listen. The other one did. Uh, he's a godly man today. Uh, he he moved out of his house and went lived with an uncle in Florida for a while. And it was one of the best things he ever did to get away from some of his friends. And he lived with uh, some just a really godly family, uh, good pastors. It was a good church, and they were good pastors. And he got in tight with them, and his life changed. And in fact, he actually moved back to the area that we were from. And he became a deacon and very involved in his church. Life totally changed. It's one of our supporters today. I mean, Jamie and I, we just, we thank God for that moment. Now his cousin turned out a little different. It didn't go quite the same. And um, I'm talking about this life of, of overcoming. There's, there's a path that we all have a tendency to go down. And the book of Proverbs is all about it. I think Pastor Michael is dealing with some Proverbs and character issues and things. And that's, that's, that's going to be a great study. And because we need to pay attention to those things and really listen to the Proverbs because Proverbs is all about a bunch of paths, different paths that you can take. And some of them are good and some of them are not good. You read about the path of the adulterous woman or the, the evil immoral man and Proverbs deals with these paths and you can get on these paths and, and some of them are good and some of them are not good. And you know what I'm talking about. We need a life that is open and a life that is obedient, a life that is overcoming. And that's a life that's made of a lot of choices. David drew this line in the sand. He, he was not going to tolerate or, or be caught up with the evil man or the wicked man. And, and if we're going to remain true to God, we've got to make some tough decisions. And there's some things we've got to choose to walk away from, that we're not going to be part of that. Um, there were times when we had to say, no, we can't do that. I, I just can't do that. That would hurt God. Spurgeon said this, a man who does not hate evil terribly does not love good heartily. What God hates, we must hate. And the more you and I fall in love with Jesus, I think the more we'll find that the world just is no longer attractive to us, but rather we'll have nothing to do with anything that's going to hurt God. and We're going to put distance between us and those evil things, a life that's overcoming. 
And then there's a, a fourth one. It's not only a life that is open and a life that is obedient and a life that is overcoming, but a life that is overflowing. It comes from verse 7 and 8, that I may publish with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all thy wondrous works. Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. ESV says it this way. I often like to read in in another uh, translation that I'm not as used to, where it says, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling of all your wondrous deeds. Oh, Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Nothing compares to the joy of pleasing the Lord. I will see the goodness of the Lord, someone has said. Every week, uh, Jamie and I are in a, usually in a different church preaching, and, um, and, and it's, that's really fun for us because we get to see people that we love, that we don't see every week. Uh, and they're constantly coming up to us and saying, thank you for, you have no idea how much God has used you to speak into my life. And that's encouraging. That, that just makes our day. We, we love to hear from people. Last week we were in a church. I was speaking, I, think, I guess it was Folsom Dale Baptist. And a guy came up afterwards. Um, and as he got close to me, he was so choked up. I, I didn't know what he was going to say, but I could see it. I could see him coming, and, and he was got so choked up. And he says, he says, I don't know how to say this. He says, but, but God has spoken to me today through the word that you brought. And, you know, and I, I started to get choked up. I just wanted to start to cry. It's like that's probably one of the most precious things you could say. And at that moment, his life was just overflowing. He was just full of praise and full of, of joy. I asked the question in my notes, is your life an overflowing life? How, how do we show that? I, I think there's a couple of things. That may, maybe being the first to give your testimony when someone asks for a testimony, to, to be the first one to say, God has been so good to me, and, and to tell how. Or, or maybe by passing out a track or, or being quick to encourage somebody else and, and looking for ways that you can add value to their life. Is your life seen as one that is overflowing, communicating God's goodness? I think an overflowing life is one that finds sweet fellowship with God's people wherever they are, wherever they meet, where the Lord is honored and blessed. It's a kind of life that encourages everyone around them. And and again, it's looking for ways to bring value into other people's lives, to lift them up, to encourage them. It reminds me of one day when I was a youth pastor. Um, I I would go to all of our kids' homes in in the course of a year. I'd go to every house just to see how they're doing and to sit in their house and to talk with them and kind of just to get some insight into their life. And I went to this one home. The the teenager from that home hadn't been coming to our youth group, and I wanted him to come. I didn't want anybody to miss our youth group. And so I went to his house, and he wasn't there, but I talked with his parents. And, and I said, you know, I, would, I really wish that so-and-so could, could come. I said, I noticed he hasn't been there. And they said, well, he has a different group of friends that don't really feel comfortable in church. And... I I remember talking to him saying, Really? Well, why? Well, they his friends just don't feel comfortable there, and so he's you know, he doesn't find because his friends aren't there. And and I remember talking to him about, you know, can you change his mind? You know, I mean, 
I don't know if I can, but can you change? Can you convince him to come? Because I want him to come. And um, a couple of weeks later, the parents called me up and they said, so-and-so is in the hospital. I said, your son? I said, what are you talking about? Well, he's at EMC, ECMC. And I said, well, ECMC, isn't that like a burn unit? Well, yeah. Well, he was involved in a, a school bombing. I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, he opened his locker and a bomb went off and it blew half part of his hand off. And I said, are you serious? And they're like, yeah, it's a heart attack. Um, somebody that, you know, it was a grudge match between he and another person and they put a bomb in his locker. I have to confess, you know, this happened, this is like 30 years ago, a long time ago. Um, and I remember thinking to myself, I think he needs a new set of friends, you know. Maybe he needs to get back in church. Um, it's not going so well, is it? And um, I don't think this life of overflowing is uh, quite working out for him. Um, David says, I'm going to sever my ties with the wrong crowd. A life that is open, a life that is obedient, a life that is overcoming, a life that is overflowing. There's a fifth one, and we're almost done. This one's a little, this one's a little difficult. I have to admit, I had a little, uh, I understand the outline, but um, trying to understand the concept behind it. David, I think, is asking God to give him an obstructed life. That seems kind of odd, doesn't it? He says in verse 9, Gather not my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloody men, in whose hands is mischief, and their right hand is full of bribes. Uh, an obstructed life. I mean, I understand the open, the obedient, the overcoming, and the overflowing, but why obstructed? And why would I want that? Right now, all around our house, there's all kinds of obstructions, <laughs> and uh, a lot of people aren't uh, necessarily going where they want to go, and uh, but, so why, what does David mean by this? Gather not my soul with sinners. ESV says, do not sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands are evil devices, and whose right hands are full of bribes. This one's a challenge, but here's what I think. I think David is asking God to build up obstructions in his life that would keep him from going in the wrong direction, that would keep him from connecting up with maybe the wrong people. Like the kind of obstacles that force us to take another direction. There have been occasions, um, we, Jamie and I travel a lot, and there have been times where we have got rerouted on a detour, and it's like, they're, they never, they're never fun, and they're, it's always like annoying because uh, you have to usually got to go further out of your way. And, and there have been other times, not only we face these detours, but there have been times, like I remember heading, um, I think it was up to the Tonawandas or Niagara Falls. We had to go somewhere. And uh, we're going along the road, and all of a sudden we, we're going under this overpass, and here is this tractor trailer hanging over the side of the bridge. He had gone off the bridge above and the, tra the cab had caught and the trailer is still connected and he's literally, the, the truck, the cab is hanging there and the truck is hanging down toward us. 
And you know, we were the police hadn't even gotten there yet, and so we were able to go by, but we're looking like, are you serious? Talk about I mean, I'm glad we weren't like even twenty seconds earlier or a minute earlier. And there have been other times where things have happened to us or or have just missed us. And I've thought, wow, God knew maybe there was a reason why I had to run back in the house and get this or get that. We do that a lot. And uh, we start to leave and it's like, oh no, we didn't. I don't have my Bible or something. And we run back and we go and we get it. And it, it just seems like there's a number of times that God puts some kind of an obstruction in our way. And at the time, we don't always understand it. We don't even really like it. But sometimes those obstructions save your life. And... Um, if I can give you an example, uh, I think we need to thank God for his grace, which sometimes sends obstructions that keep us from making foolish mistakes. I was talking to a friend, a college-age student, and uh, he, was, he was with another buddy, and, and the buddy, had, he had just gotten this big motorcycle. I mean, I have a motorcycle. It's not, there's nothing wrong with motorcycles. But his friend had just gotten this big souped-up motorcycle, and he said, hey, you want to take it for a spin? And so his buddy got on, and, and of course, he was out in the country. I know the roads where he was on, because I used to live there. And he was just screaming down the road. It was one of these that you just touch it, and it's off. You've got to be really hanging on. And he said, I was just screaming down the road. And off in the distance, I saw a state trooper, and he was coming toward our street. You know, and he could see him on the, the hill. And he said, as soon as I saw him, I just let right off. He said, because I would have, I mean, I would have gotten a ticket. It would have been really serious because I was just screaming. He said, you know what happened? He said, as soon as I let off, I hit a patch in the road that was so wavy. He says, I would never have been able to control that motorcycle. He said, that trooper saved my life and he doesn't even know it. And uh, I wanted to ask, did you go tell him? <laughs> you know, of course not. But anyway, sometimes God puts things in our way to protect us. And that's what David's asking for. He's saying, God, just, just when you see me about to head into something really bad, don't let me go there. Put something in my way, somebody in my path. Don't let me make that mistake. It's a life that is obstructed. And then there's a final one, a life that is open, a life that is obedient, overcoming, overflowing, sometimes obstructed. And then the last one, an ordered life. I like this, verse 11 and 12, and we're done. But for me, I will walk in mine integrity. Redeem me and be merciful unto me. My foot standeth in an even place in the congregations while I bless the Lord. As I've been studying the Psalms, there's something that I've discovered, and there's probably a word for this. I'm not intelligent enough to know what it is, but the Psalms often end where they start. It's like the first word, some of you musicians have probably already figured this out, but oftentimes the first verse and the last verse are very close together. It's like, it's the same thing. It's like the psalmist goes full circle, because the psalmist was a musician, goes full circle and comes right back to the thought he started with. I love that. I don't know what the technical thing is for that. I got to figure that out. But do you remember how it started in verse one? He says, judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in mine integrity. I have trusted also in the Lord, therefore I shall not slide. I have walked in integrity. And then the last verse, I will walk in integrity. 
the first verse, he said, I shall not slide. My foot standeth at an even place. He's talking about a place that is level. ESV says it this way, but as for me, I shall walk in mine integrity, redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground in the great assembly. I will bless the Lord. Don't miss this. We live in a world that is turned upside down. I'm told that in in some schools, girls have to put on a burqa and recite the Muslim creed to get a feeling of understanding and accepting of Muslim people. And, and, And I understand some of that, but some of that I think goes too far. And some elementary grades are asking children what sex they want to be. Um, I just think that's wrong. I, I think we live in a world that's coming unglued. And yet you and I, uh, with God's help, by the grace of God, can stand on level ground. In fact, who can stand more steadfast than us? In a world filled with snares and pitfalls, a a divinely ordered life will stand on level ground. Uh, I love the verse, search me, O God, examine me, test me, improve me, try my heart and my reins. Uh, A life that is ordered. I think think it helps to, to be in a a pattern of doing a quiet time, spending time talking with God on a regular basis. I like that you guys uh, talk about the quiet time each week, uh, uh, a quiet time passage that you all uh, can be on the same page and do together. I think that's pretty cool. Um, and I think that's healthy. It's really good for a church. It's good for a family. Um, because if I want a life that is ordered, I've, I've got to have some disciplines in my life that will help me with that. I'm not, I'm not capable of that on my own. I need God's help with that. All of these, a life that's open, a life that's obedient, uh, overcoming, overflowing, sometimes obstructed, and a life that is ordered. We need God's help. Uh, if we're going to experience that. Let's pray. Father, we love you. I'm thankful for this experience, this passage that David writes about. I, I agree with the author that says, I believe this is a time when Israel was being punished, but not for David's sin, for Saul's sin, and because the nation hadn't addressed it. Father, thank you that David could actually have such a clear conscience and that he could say, I I am innocent. I have walked in integrity. Test me. Put me to the test. David saw that as an opportunity to show how clean he was before God. Imagine being in that place. I pray, Father, that you will help us with that. We want a life that is open, a life that is obedient, a life that is overflowing and overcoming and obstructed and ordered. Father, we need your help if that's going to be true. And I ask for that help. I pray that you'll help us this week, this day. In Jesus' name, amen.